Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. I'm joined once again by an old friend, Jacob Sanderson. How's it going, man? I'm doing good. This is awesome, man. We're like so, so officially into fantasy football season. The projections are done. The ranks are done. I'm yep. already into my uh, into my running back columns. This is a good time, man. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's a great time. Um, and uh, Jacob's here today to go over his team, the Indianapolis Colts, as well as one of the We're most interesting. Totally normal one. Yeah, totally normal. <laughs> Nothing going on in Indianapolis. We probably won't have anything to talk about. Um, and then we're going to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars, who to me are one of the most interesting teams uh, from a projection Definitely. basis, and probably the most important for one of the most important for fantasy. But let's let's start with the Colts. Um, yeah, I just want to start from a very basic level. Like, do you want to talk about it as if Taylor is going to play? Do you want to talk about it as if he's not? Is it worth discussing it, or is it just like we'll wait? And well, see? let's talk about it like he's going to play first. I still think the most likely scenario is that Jonathan Taylor is the week one starting running back for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah. Like, end of the day, if they refuse to trade him, he doesn't have a ton of options. Like it sucks. We can go on for way longer than we're going to podcast about all of the issues with the CBA, but from just fantasy perspective, he does not have any really, any real benefit in holding up. It will, yeah. it will cost them quite a bit of money. Um, so my assumption is that the most likely scenario is that the Colts decide not to trade him and that he decides to ultimately play in week one. I do think that there is enhanced risk that should he get injured on the football field, not with a potentially phantom sore back from the off season, but he gets injured on the football field. You know, I'm, I don't think he'll be rushing back, especially if the team is doing poorly, right? We just yeah. kind of saw this happen with Lamar Jackson last year. We saw this kind of happen with DeAndre Hopkins last year where players got injured legitimately and, you know, it, maybe they could have played, maybe they could have pushed it, decided not to push it. Right. And, so and just to be clear, loss. Jonathan Taylor cannot sit out the season without an injury. However, if he's injured and some of these injuries, like how, how much does your hamstring hurt? How much does your back hurt? It's hard to really tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he, I mean, I have, I have Jonathan Taylor projected, I have Jonathan Taylor projected, and I did my projections before all this came out, but yeah. I have projected for 360 touches. He's going to get injured, right? Like it's, yeah. he's, you, you he's don't get 360 something. touches without so, that. Yeah, I'm not. Th- I'm not saying he's going to get so injured that he can't play, but like, how many how many times did Josh Jacobs like, you know, come up holding something last year, and he always went back out there? You know, Josh Jacobs, of course, another example of this. Maybe this year he doesn't come back out there. Maybe he says, you know what? I'm going to hang out in the locker room here and mend my finger and I'll see you next week or next year. Right. So yeah. he's like, Taylor's going to sprain something. He's going to pull something. It's just natural. These guys got out so much and they play through so much. And Taylor's willingness to play through pain, you know, who's to say, but I would, I would guess that it's going to be a little bit lower than you, you typically see. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And and I have Jonathan Taylor projected for, you know, 300 total touches, um, about, you know, 1,600 total yards and 10 touchdowns, which is, you know, 14 and a half fantasy points a game. It's not a massive season. Yeah, part of that is a big difference. Marks. Yeah, please. I would love to hear it. Yeah, that was something I was interested on. I have a way more bullish Taylor projection than you do okay. by, by a long shot. I have him 329 rush attempts uh, and 42 targets. So okay. I, I have, I mean, I think essentially he's getting, if he's healthy and he's willing to play, 
I think he's getting like basically every single carry. I, I have in total 537 rush attempts, 129 of those going to Richardson, 329 to Taylor, uh, 51 going to Zach Moss and Evan Hall, and 21 in my overflow. So essentially yeah. of the non-Richardson carries, I have Taylor seeing um, over 80% of them, which which I think is is likely to be the case. I'm a little bit less sure as to how much you'll play in long down and distance situations, but I do think they're going to run the ball a crap ton. And I think that Taylor is going to, you know, be the one who, who's, who's running. I think the only person who's really sharing the backfield with him is Richardson. I, I don't think Zach Moss and Evan Hall are, are going to really factor in outside of Gatorade breaks. Yeah. I mean, I, I largely agree with that. Like you had 39 targets. I have 42. So the difference is clearly those 60 attempts. I only have him as a 73% rushing share out of non-quarterbacks that is below he was above 80 percent, like you said last year in his games where he was healthy so i am projecting a little bit more uh carry swell i do um so i I, a lot of that projection had to do with the fact that i just don't think he's gonna push it i i mentioned to you that these projections are not accounting for injuries but jonathan taylor's a situation where i am accounting for that a little bit less injuries and more opting not to play. Maybe he misses an entire game or two that he would have otherwise played. Um, but I totally see what you're saying. I, I think to sense. me, I think to me, the the lack of ceiling also comes from whether it's 39 targets or 42 targets. We both agree that he's not going to get more than 35 max catches. Um, so you have him projected for what, like 16 and a half points a game, 17, something like that? 17.4. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and that, you know, that can totally and that was, again, that was done before any of this situation came to pass. Right. Like that was not done with any, any holdout risk in mind. I, I just haven't changed it. Like I've been kind of like this with all the running backs where I'm, yeah. I'm not going to bother like changing my projection and then having to change it again when new news breaks. Like, I'm just going to pretend that he's playing 17 games in this projection. If we yeah. get a little closer to the season, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll change it. I've moved him down my rankings, but the projection, I'm just leaving it as, as is for now. Yeah. And that's a totally valid way to do it. If I, I was doing these projections as this was going on. So probably just a makes a lot of difference there. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Anthony Richardson. So I want to hear about just your general thoughts on him and then we can get into his fantasy outlook. I I currently have him projected for about 3,700 rushing yards, 800, sorry, 3,700 passing (laughs) yards, 800 rushing yards, 22 total touchdowns, 15 picks. That's a low-end QB1 at about 18 points a game. Um, and, I mean, a lot of it's just coming how many, from rushing. How many touchdowns is this? So I'm, I, have, I, have I have him at four, 14 passing and eight rushing. Okay, so this is interesting. So I have him higher in terms of the touchdowns, but a lot lower in terms of the yards. So I, I have a similar output. I have 17.8 points per game. Okay. But that is with 18.8 passing touchdowns, 7.2 rushing touchdowns. Um, but I only have him at 3,258 passing yards. Yeah. This was obviously a tough situation to project because we yeah. don't have any basis for uh, this play caller in Indianapolis. We don't have any basis for this quarterback. What I tried to do was I looked at, I based my projection off of a blend of a few different scenarios where I thought we had coordinators that weren't boomers, like coordinators that in their ideal scenario would want to have pace up um, balanced to pass heavy offenses, but who were saddled with young mobile quarterbacks with accuracy concerns. So I looked at Brian Dable uh, with the Giants last year. I looked at Brian Dable early in Josh Allen's tenure, the first two years of his career. Um, and I looked at this Eagle staff, uh, Jalen Hurts, um, that stretched right when he just started, the very end of his first year and a little bit into his second year. Uh, those were the main 
um, sources that I kind of relied on, plus a little bit of the historical action with the Colts and, and the fact that they have such a premier running back there. Um, I also look at the fact that they have the third easiest schedule in the NFL this year. So I do think that even though the Colts are probably not very good, uh, they do play the NFC South and they play the Texans twice. So I think that there's a, a chance for them to actually be able to play a neutral script quite a bit this year, despite not being a particularly strong team. Um, the re- end result of this all is that while I do have Richardson on the QB1 borderline, uh, I-, I have this as an unmitigated disaster for everyone catching passes on the Indianapolis Colts. Like I-, I have plenty yeah. for Taylor, but I have Michael Pittman with a 25% target share, which is is obviously entirely respectable. I don't have him even threatening a thousand yards, and I have him at 10.7 fantasy points per game. Yeah, I mean, I have him a little bit more at 12 fantasy points a game, um, but you know, I, I don't think Richardson's going to throw for a lot of touchdowns. One of the things I looked at similar comps to you and also in general looked at top 10, uh, top 10 quarterback picks who had more than 400 rushing yards in their last season of college. And their average touchdown rate was below 3%, which is just miserable. And in this projection, I'm projecting Anthony Richardson for 2.8%. The league average is above 4% just for a point of reference. And I, I like what you were saying earlier, taking the different potential scenarios, looking at Hurts and Allen. I did the same thing. One interesting thing that I came upon was that Jalen Hurts in particular, when he first started playing in that first stretch of games, um, he wasn't running the ball nearly as much as I expected. And his four starts in, in 2020, he only was rushing four times a game. And that went up to 11 rushes a game in 2022 and above nine in 2021. So I'm not really sure think- what to take from that. But it's, I think it's I, it kind of similar to, to what we saw. Yeah. I think it's kind of similar to what we saw with Desmond Ritter at the end of the year last year, where yeah. you have a, a brand new quarterback, never played in the NFL before. And it's like, do you really want them like going out trying to read linebackers and running zone yeah. read all the time? Like, I, I think you're going to see those quarterbacks get their rushes in on scrambles, but it's just a lot to put on a quarterback's plate to, to be like, you're, you're now effectively a play caller, right? Like when they're running, a lot of what they were running in Atlanta with Mariota was, you know, in a way, kind of a triple option. It's like a run-pass option in which he can either hand it to the back, keep it himself, or pass it on the quick slant to one under pits. It's like right. you don't really want Ritter having to make those kind of reads in his first game, right? Like you'd rather just have it be set up. Okay, this is a run. This is a pass. You're handing it off. You're throwing it. I recall something similar with Hurts and him getting way more design runs going yeah. into the second season. I mean, the other interesting thing with Richardson is that his rushing profile is a little bit theoretical. Mm-hmm. Um, his combine athleticism is completely out of this world. His college rushing numbers are not that substantial. Like he, he's a running quarterback, but he, he did not run actually that much. And one interesting note is any college quarterbacks, never looking at college quarterback rushing stats, they cap sacks with rushes. And you can take that both ways with Richardson. Richardson has one of the lowest sack rates we've seen out of any rookie quarterback coming out, which is, really one of his best traits from a real life perspective when you look at his rushing you can say okay on the bright side you know this means he probably actually ran more than you'd think just by looking at his rushing attempt right on the downside it means he's actually probably less efficient of a runner than it looks like because he doesn't have a bunch of seven yard negative rushes weighing down all the positive rushes right like his rushing share his rushing numbers actually uh mostly aligned with what he legitimately ran for because he doesn't have a bunch of stacks in the mix so it's i think that richardson I mean, you never know, like Fields wasn't a really high volume rusher in college either, but I, I think it's more likely we see Richardson be like kind of a Josh Allen uh, runner 
I think that was sort of who I use as the closest comparison to like and, a Lamar and, Jackson. And Daniel Jones. Yeah, and Daniel Jones was another guy who ran mm-hmm. a fair amount in college, probably more than Richardson did, if I'm remembering correctly, but then didn't run a lot his first year and really has been expanding that as a part of his game. I think part of it, I, I like what you said about not getting as much designed runs. I also think part of it is that the coaches are telling him, you know, this is your first read, this is your second read. Th- yeah. You don't want to scramble as your second read and then have the coach come back and yell at you saying, you know, this guy was open. You want to try to follow what the offense is saying. And most offenses don't have scrambling until at earliest the third read. Right. So I, I agree. I might be a little bit optimistic uh, from a rushing perspective, but I think either way we're coming to the point that from a wide receiver position, this offense is an absolute mess. You know, I I'm higher on downs than I'm sure you are, but even I could only get him to seven points a game. Yeah. I don't blame you. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes with, you know, three. Oh, actually yards. I'm not as, I'm not as far off as you think. Actually I'm 6.2. So, okay. That's not bad. So I, I have him yeah. at 49 catches for 587 yards. Um, and he is, you know, the second leading receiver and I couldn't get Pittman above 10. Oh, I couldn't do, uh, so I, I didn't get the second leading receiver. I, I'm pretty confident in Alec Pierce. Um, he's okay. the other, not in dynasty. Like he's like, I don't think either. Like the only guy, the only guys are starting in a dynasty format from this team are Richardson, Taylor and Pittman. And I don't even know that you're going to love starting Pittman. Um, Pierce and Downs are, are very likely unstartable in Dynasty. Yeah. I do take a lot of Alec Pierce in best ball, though. I, I think he his routes are under no threat, in my opinion. He's the only real downfield option uh, in this passing game. He was the X yeah. receiver last year. Pittman generally played in a slot flanker deployment, got moved around the formation a lot more. Um, I think Pierce serves a very valuable real-life role in this offense. He did have high success rates winning down the field. Um I think it was all things considered a pretty impressive rookie season for what you really expect Alec Pierce to be, which is probably a better real life player than a fantasy player. But I don't, I don't see down subbing him off the field. I think what this offense is going to try to do based on their personnel and Richardson, you know, what does Richardson do best? He throws deep balls and he did not do well in the intermediate areas of the field or over the middle. It's, he does his best work with the passer throwing deep and towards the boundary. I think that's where Pierce wins. And I think they're going to try and run a lot, run a lot, run a lot, and try to hit play action, explosive plays down the field. And Pierce is going to be the vessel for that. So I'm interested in him in best ball. I think he's going to have plenty of like two, three target weeks. But I, I do think he'll be the guy who is running 90% of the routes every week and has that 15, 16, 8 dot. And you're going to see opportunities, you know, kind of like Darnell Mooney, uh, you know, in, in Justin Fields' rookie year, where it was like he would have weeks where he was unplayable but then he would have some three for 80 type of weeks. I, I think that you're going to see that from Pierce. Um, and he's just really cheap in best ball. I think Downs the very end of draft, but I think Downs is going to have a tougher time being fantasy useful because I think he's going to be more volume dependent. And I don't still think it's oh, going to be very much volume. Yeah, I mean, it sucks because I love Josh Downs coming out of college, but it's just not a good landing spot for him, um, at least for year one. Uh, Alec Pierce, I mean, he had an 18% target rate and a 53% catch rate last year uh, with Matt Ryan. Like, I think that 53% catch rate could even go down uh, with Anthony. Yeah, Richardson, but you want to talk but... about it's not a skill set match for Alex. Pierce. Absolutely. Like, Matt Ryan, I mean, Ryan the ball eight yards. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for a guy like Pierce, who was, I think his eight out was probably farther than Matt Ryan could throw, completely makes yeah. sense. Um, let's move on, though. I want to touch on this super quickly. Do you care about anyone? Let's say Jonathan Taylor gets traded. Who, who are you prioritizing? Yeah, I mean, Adam Hall is really interesting to me. I think he landed in a really perfect spot where, you know, 
there's some like more numbers based fantasy analysts that are like all in on Evan Hall. I, I'm not like quite mm-hmm. to that extent. I, I don't think he's like actually good. No. Uh, like his Lance Zerline film grade is horrible. You look at uh, pretty much across the board, any people who had film grades on him, they're, they're really, really poor. Um, I watched a little bit of him, and I don't think that he's like a special talent. But what he does offer is really everything you want out of a contingency running back. Like he has shown the ability to handle a massive workload in college, um, and he's shown the ability to handle uh, work in the receiving game, and he has some special teams capabilities. So to me, he's a guy that, I would not have been interested in like chasing up draft boards if he was in some ambiguous situation, but I do think he, he kind of lands in a perfect spot where I don't think he's ever going to be a team running back on purpose, but he's kind of the perfect guy to play as a lead running back in all situations for a month long stretch. If someone yeah. in front of him gets hurt, because there's just nothing that he like can't do serviceably. So he's, to me, he's the kind future, of an opportunity. He's like the next Samaj P Ryan is like what you're right. Hoping. Yeah. Yeah, I think like I, I comped him to Eno Benjamin coming sure. up, and it was kind of yeah. a similar thing where like Benjamin sucks, but there was a few weeks last year where Connor got hurt and he handled like 80% of the workload because he, he yeah. doesn't have to come off the field. Uh, P. Ryan's another example of that. So, yeah, I think Hall, Hall's the most interesting to me. I mean, Zach Moss is horrendous. Yeah, we um, know Zach Moss sucks. We know Deion Jackson averaged three and a half yards carry last year on six can't run. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a receiving back. Yeah. You know, so I think, and, and the nice thing with Chris Ballard, it's like he, has shown in the past that he does not really like blocking his young players. Like his, his like biggest prideful thing is that he gets a UDFA on the 53 man roster every year that he's been a GM. It, it's yeah. like his number one accomplishment. Um, I think that with Hall, like he, he drafted him late. He likes to see his late round guys have chances to develop. He doesn't usually block them with that, especially this year, all the talk at a Colts camp from everybody is like, this is a development year, right? Like they're mm-hmm. not really trying to win games. So if Taylor holds out, I hope out, not. No. So if, if Taylor does hold out or if he's traded um, and Zach Moss probably not going to be ready for week one with the broken arm, like I think they'll sign a body because they have to yeah. sign a body. But I think that like it, we're not looking at like this is not a Dalvin Cook landing spot. I don't think it's not a Leonard Fournette landing spot. I think it's like a, okay, Benny Snell, like do you want 750K? Like I think it's just like we're going to get a warm body. But I think they would probably let Hall and Jackson roll with it. Yeah. And and I hope they do. That would that would be the most exciting result of the situation. I don't I don't need to see Daryl Henderson getting twelve carries a game. Uh, as fun as that would be in, in a in a perverse type of way. Um. All right. Let's uh let's move on to the lightning round. Uh. Try to limit your answers yeah. to thirty seconds or less. Who is the yeah. best dynasty value on the Colts? Ah uh, man. Um. Jonathan Taylor. I guess is my answer. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I love Anthony Richardson. I'm very happy that we picked him in the draft. But I think his ADP is really unjustifiable. Where he's going mm-hmm. at the one-two turn right now for a quarterback prospect who, who was not good from like a real life perspective. Really, um, high upside, but not not a not like a strong format. Uh, I think it's Jonathan Taylor. I mean, I think you can still make. A compelling argument that he is one of, if not the best, running back in the NFL. He, he was an absolutely, um, you know, fantastic specimen in 2021, and his 2022 is really cut by injuries, you know, repeated yeah. ankle injuries. Um, he is still young. If anything, like I, I think that the least likely scenario is him like holding out this year. I think it's probably more likely he's traded than that he holds out. And virtually any landing spot via trade would be excellent. Like there's plenty of spots where you could go via trade and, and become instantly the number two dynasty running back in everybody's rankings. Um, and that would be potentially really exciting for him. I, I'm still pretty optimistic about him in this situation. I, I do understand that 
his receiving upside is going to be limited. But yeah, Jonathan Taylor is already one of the best pure runners in the league. You look at historically the impact of mobile quarterbacks on running backs. Like I, I think he's going to be threatening like five and a half to six yards per carry, quite frankly, in this offense, if he's has the opportunity to participate in it. Um, and right now people, you know, there's, there's definitely some panic. I see him dropping like a rock in best ball draft. So uh, he'd be a guy like if I could move like a Barkley or an Eckler who are kind of on the tail end of their career and not have to add that much to go in, and get Taylor and, essentially keep that elite running back asset for another extra couple of years without or having to move on from it. That's probably the guy. It's also just a default because there's probably only three players on this whole team that you're starting anytime soon. That have any value, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I posted a thread on Jonathan Taylor and why I think trading a trade for him is the best uh, solution to, uh, to this issue. Uh, next question is worst. By the way, my answer for that, probably JT, but I, I like Jelani Woods as a potential value as well. Just yeah, that's that reasonable. There. Yeah, yep. uh, worst dynasty value on the team, Richardson. Richardson, and it breaks yeah. my heart to say it. I mean, I've I've like beat up on Pittman a little bit in the past, but his value has come so far down that I, I just like don't have an opinion either way. Um, it's Richardson. I, I mean, he's going out of Deshaun Watson right now in startups. I just don't think that's a reasonable position. Um, yeah, I, I I have Richardson as my as my QB eleven. He's going off the board at QB ten uh, and almost two rounds ahead of my QB eight, which is Kyler. So yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a bit much for Richardson there. I uh, mean, I think he's value insulated for a year, but you're you're buying a really risky long term bet, and you're paying yeah. quite near the top of the market on it. So I I'm personally a little bit overweight Richardson just because I I want to root for him, but I, I wouldn't advise others to do so. All right. Uh, player that might be on waivers in a deep dynasty league that you should pick up? Uh, uh, well, Jelani isn't in a deep dynasty league and neither is Evan Hall anymore. Um, I guess I would say Zach Moss, which is depressing, but if he's still on yeah. waivers, I, I don't know. Every Colts running back might be claimed now, but there's really nobody else to talk about. So I guess I would go with Zach Moss. If people dropped him after he broke his arm, he's probably going to be back by like week two. Um, he's still the only back with prototypical size on the roster. If Paul doesn't show out, I I could see it just being Zach Moss, you know, tumbling his way. And he sucks, but you put a running back next to a mobile quarterback, um, they're usually going to be efficient. So I think think Zach Moss can, like, rumble his way for four and a half yards per carry. I would also take a look at Kylan Granson. I I think Jelani Woods is going to win the job over him, but I I don't know. They have similar draft capital. You you never know. Will Will Mallory's in there now, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something massive. The, the latest projections are they might keep five tight ends on the active roster. Oh my God. Is the Ogletree, Granton, uh, Mo Alley, Alley Cox, Cox, Mallory, yeah. and Jelani Woods have all been rotating in with the top two teams. Like it, it could Wild. be a total shit show. All right. Uh, win loss record prediction. Uh, I will say six and 11. I'd say that sounds just about right. All right. You uh, want to move on to talk about the Jags? Yeah. Really fun team. Yeah, a little bit more of a fun team. I know not not your hometown team and a division rival, but should be fun to talk about either way. So Jaguars are an exciting team, and I have really two players ranked very highly at the position, Trevor Lawrence and uh, Chris and Calvin Ridley, sorry. And I'm pretty high on Travis Etienne as well. Uh, I would like to start off with Trevor Lawrence, though. I have him projected for almost 4,500 yards, 30 touchdowns adding 350 and four on the ground, which would get him to 20 and a half fantasy points per game, which is, you know, top five, top six quarterback most years. And the reason that I have behind this is just looking at his progression. So 
looking at 2021 to the first eight games of 2022 to the last nine games of 2022, his completion percentage went from 60% to 62 to 70. His yards per game went from 214 to 230 to 253. His touchdown rate went from 2% to 3.6% to 4.9%. And his interception rate fell from 2.8% to 2.2% to 0.7%. Basically, he turned into you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league over the last nine games of last season. I know you can't just take that split and project it over the full season, but I saw real tangible improvements from him. It was an up and down playoff game, but he's in the best situation of his career with the same coaching staff. He obviously added Calvin Ridley. Are you holding back on Lawrence at all? Or are you right there with me? No, I mean, I think it's the unfortunate market. I think it's priced in a lot of the progression that I expect. So I, yeah. I'm not sure that he's a value, but I am totally with you. I, we might use slightly different scoring settings for our projections because I think mine's down better, but it, it even winds up with a similar points per game. I have him throwing for even more. I have him all the way up to 4,843 passes. Ooh, I love it. Um, I have him at 29.8 passing touchdowns, 63 for 271 and four on the ground. Um, mm-hmm. we, we saw across the board, not just Lawrence playing better over the second half of the year, but we saw them operate at a much higher pace and we saw them have a much higher pass rate over expectation. To me, this makes perfect sense. Doug Peterson historically has run really high pace offenses. I think uh, that, that what they ran over the second half of the year in terms of their pass rate and in terms of uh, their pace was much more in line with what Peterson always did on the Eagles whenever his offense was running well. That's, I think, what he wants to be doing. Um, That's also, of course, what he did when he used to be in Kansas City. So I think that's his desire, is to run a slightly pass-heavy, really high-paced offensive scheme. Um, And and they just needed to make sure that they were ready to do that. I thought Lawrence started to show improvement even before his fantasy um, success started taking off. There were a few weeks where he was posting some really impressive numbers in terms of the EPA, the CPOE. I was watching almost every Jaguars game because I was really interested in seeing what Lawrence was up to, what ETN was up to. And I thought we started to really see him start to take strides. And then those, those the faith that he brought out of Peterson was really restored over the last half of the season when he started to convert that into production. When you look at how optimistic we all were on Lawrence, it should have been as a prospect, and you yeah. start to see him progress this way, and it's in line with the coaching trends, I, I do think it's reasonable to continue to project him to move forward, right? It's not like this is some random second-round pick who had a hot finish the season. It's, it's the first overall pick that everybody loved coming out who took a little bit longer than we expected, but who's now on that path that we sort of expected him to follow. So I, I think he's in, in a total smash spot. I think this entire offense is in a total smash spot. The only thing that might slow this offense down at all is just that they're – are no good teams in this division. I think that's like a little bit unfortunate for them is that they're probably going to be playing from ahead quite frequently um, against kind of slow paced teams that are going to not do well and not do anything to, to, to help the game move along. But outside of that, I, I'm really excited about this team. The other fun thing about the Jaguars is they're so consolidated, like really only four guys ran routes for them last year. It yeah. was like Zay, Kirk, Marvin, Ingram, those were the only guys. Like, there wasn't anybody else. It was, like, a little bit of Agnew on trick plays, but there wasn't really a second tight end. There wasn't really a fourth wide receiver outside of trick play scenarios. Marvin out, Ridley in. You know, they probably lose some route for 12 personnel. But for the most part, I think they're just going to be running 11 personnel with those three receivers in Ingram every single snap. It's probably going to help them play as fast as they want to because they're not going to have to have a lot of substitutions. Um, and that makes it really nice for fantasy because all the production gets consulted around the core participants. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I basically have Zay Jones projected for, you know, 75% route participation, which is a little bit better than Marvin last year. And then Ingram right there and Ridley and Kirk in the high 80s. My favorite stat when I was looking back at last year, Jamal Agnew was targeted on 43% of his routes, which just speaks to how true. Yeah, it was all it was all just trick plays for him. Um, but yeah, love how consolidated this team is. And it's how I got, you know, I currently have Ridley projected as a top 12 guy and Christian Kirk projected as a top 24 guy. Um, what's your why don't we, what's your target distribution between the, yeah, those so top four guys? I currently the target share distribution, I have Ridley at 25, I have Kirk at 22, okay. I have Zay at eight, 17, and I have Ingram at 18. Okay. You, are you really low on the running back target share or like is everybody else just cut out completely there? Uh, I have 14% total target share to the running back. So I'm very low on that. And Trevor Lawrence checked down the least out of anyone in the NFL last okay. year. I It's it's very possible is, that would change. How, how are, we, be are, these still, that. are these still all under, under 100%? Does anybody else get targets? Uh, that's part of the issue. So I have a total of six targets going to guys other than those, other than the okay. Uh, the okay. six targets going to Agnew, Strange, and then the other guys. So probably not. Okay. There. So I'm not and, quite and, as extreme. I, I have I have yeah. the exact same 14% going to the running backs. Yeah. Um, and then everybody else comes in a little bit under, but a pretty similar order. I have 23% to Ridley, 20 and a half to Kirk, 16 to Zay Jones, 16 and a half to Evan Ingram. I have four and a half to Agnew, three percent to Strange, and then I have two and a half percent to just nobody. So yeah, you're, you're basically one percent less than me on the big four, which which makes sense. Yeah, I'm probably being aggressive yeah. on on the lack of other. Um, but either way, there's a lot of targets to go around. You have 4,800 yards to go around. Given Calvin Ridley, if he's going to get 23% target share, we know. I mean, his last season, I believe his yards per reception was like 17 or something ridiculous. What what do you have Calvin Ridley projected for? Yeah, I have Calvin Ridley for 140 total targets, 91, 12, 24, and 7.3, which is 15.1 uh, fantasy points per game. Um, and I think that it's possible that he exceeds that. Like, I, I think if he's the Calvin Ridley that we saw in Atlanta, I, I don't think 23% is a ceiling target there by any stretch. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think Zay Jones, that, the interesting thing about last year is that Jones, Kirk, and Engram all had like really positive seasons, but none of them really consolidated targets. They really just kind of, like I mentioned before, consolidated routes, right? And so collectively they consolidated the targets, but there wasn't anyone who showed the type of targets per route run earning upside where you would say that another alpha can't come in and massively impact them, right? So I think if Calvin Ridley comes in and he's just superstar Calvin Ridley, I don't think it's impossible that he could see a 26, 27, 28% target share and everybody else kind of gets out of the way, right? I, I do think that's totally in the cards because I don't think that those guys were special. A, a big part of it is I I'm, I just think Trevor Lawrence was awesome last year. And I think that yeah. he was awesome in spite of really mediocre weapons. Like I think he was mm-hmm. carrying Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and Christian Kirk. Like I, I think he turned Christian Kirk from a good-ish player to like a bona fide borderline one wide receiver and Zay Jones from frankly kind of a bum to like an actual wide receiver. So yeah. I, I have Zay Jones at 16% because it's hard to project them to drop off that much. He's like a 20% target share guy. Yeah. But if Ridley comes in and he dominates, like Zay Jones could be like running, you know, MVS. Like I, yeah. I could see and him totally dissolving from the offense because he's just 
we have a long history with Zay Jones of being totally unspectacular. So, and, and frankly, the same with, with Ingram, right? Like I think, so yeah, ceiling is the roof for Ridley. I think he could be a top five wide receiver this year if his full ceiling hits. I, I didn't quite project that because it's been so long, but I'm really bullish on Calvin Ridley. Me too. And I mean, I have the same numbers as you, basically 142 targets, 95 catches, 12, 34 yards. The difference I have is 11 touchdowns. Obviously we're just projecting, but his career touchdown rate is 7.4%. He's been above 6.3% in every season. And now he's playing with Trevor Lawrence. If he gets 140 targets, I think he's going to score 10 times. I mean, I, you can't necessarily project that, but the ceiling is incredible for him. He could easily be a top six guy, give or take. And I, I assume that your projections for Kirk and Evan Ingram are still pretty decent. They're still going to be useful fantasy players this year. Yeah, I have Christian Kirk 13.2 fantasy points per game, which is, is uh, I don't have them all sorted out, but probably on the fringes of the wide receiver twos. Yeah. Um, probably back end wide receiver two. And then I, I still have a, like a really useful stat line for Zay Jones. Like I think he's a totally viable best ball click. Yeah. Um, like I have him for 792 receiving yards and six touchdowns. Uh, yeah. I have Evan Ingram for 755 receiving yards and six touchdowns, and he's up I, over 10.7, and that's not in tight end premium. So, yeah, I'm at the exact same exact same spot as you with those guys, both in the mid 700s with five ish touchdowns for so, each. And- so, really, I think I just have their pass rate higher, and then yeah. I have the those extra targets going to the other guys, but I have their makes pass sense. rate juiced up a little bit over where you have it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Let's let's talk about the running backs now because this is a super interesting situation. Um, how much do you think Tank Bigsby takes from Etienne? Both what did you predi- project and more importantly, what's your kind of thought process behind that? Do you think he takes over the short yardage work, the extra third down work? W- what's your general split for those guys? Well, my take is that they're kind of similar players. Like I think people have just sort of broadcast Travis Etienne's perceived weaknesses onto Tank Bigsby when I don't think that's necessarily true. Like I don't yeah. think Tank Bigsby was a reliable running back in college. That's not what the data says. It's not what I saw on film. I think he's an exciting running back. I think he's athletic. I think that he has a lot of natural instinctual abilities, uh, especially in the open field. But I think he really struggles to diagnose the play behind the line of scrimmage, where I don't think he would be some obvious, incredible short yardage running back. You know, people think short yard running back is all about like being really big, but a lot of it's just being patient, making the right reads. I think that's probably the, the weakness in Bigsby's game right now. Um, and receiving, I, I think Bigsby's fine. You know, I, I think he is, is a, certainly capable of like handling a dump off, handling a screen pass, but he's not a dynamic route runner by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I see, I comped him to Tevin Coleman coming out and, you know, people that don't really like Travis Etienne have comped him to Tevin Coleman. So I think that what I expect to see is again, I think they want to play really fast and I think they want to have consistency of personnel. And I think that's why they drafted a running back who's kind of similar to the running back they have. So my guess is we're going to see two series ETN, one series tank. And I don't think they're going to be split up by usage um, all that much. Yeah, I agree. I literally like, I think they're going to see similar types of usage with just more ETN, but I yes. think it's going to be like, yeah, I think like I, tank's going to get a drive. Is kind of what I think. Yeah. No, I completely agree. It's the same thing the Lions did last year with David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. Um, I think that's yeah. basically what they're going to do because they want ETN to be able to handle all three downs. I think it's clear he's the better player. He was the better prospect. He was drafted yeah. higher. He had a really good season last year. He was number one in rushing yards over expected per rush last year. He was just a very good player. Um, and I think Tanks Bigsby, like you, is fine. So I, I have ETN projected to handle about two-thirds, one-third of the rush attempts. I have him Similar. projected to handle 
way more of the of the uh, targets, which I think honestly is something I probably need to adjust with some of the reports coming out. Um, I think ETN is just a better weapon, but it probably needs to be a little bit closer in terms of the targets. I, I currently have it as 60 to 12. It probably okay. should be more like 50 to that. 25 or something like what that. What do you have? What do you have for hasty? Do you have him uh, mixing in on hasty, any of the long down and distance work? I have him yeah. poking around a little bit. Hasty, I got projected. No, not really. I got him for 10 okay. targets. Nothing major. Okay. So I have I have carry split. I have 221 ETN, 106 tank, 16 hasty. Targets, Basically I have 49, I have 21, 15. Okay. So 49, 21, 15. I have 62, 12, and then 10 between hasty and dearness. So, it, so it, really it's, it's just a mix between, and I don't have dearness projected. I, I do I do always have overflow though. So like I have 21 yeah. carries for 97 yards to nobody. Um, okay. And I have, uh, well, I, have, I don't have the targets allocated out by running back, but I, I usually just say like 1% of the total targets. Yeah, so no, I, I have that same, same like other bucket. So so you have ETN for what, 13 points a game, give or take? 13.99. Yeah. yeah, I have him for 14.3. So we're right in the same okay. spot there. And I, I think that puts him as at the RB1-2 border. And I think after all this hullabaloo and argument, I think that's just, you know, where he is. It's where he's valued in yeah. Dynasty. And for a 24-year-old running back, that's kind of what it should be. I'm I'm kind of with the market on ETN and Dynasty and very ahead of the market on Tank just because I like him as a prospect. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think he's in a good offense. And I, I'm not really worried about, you know, everybody else in the team whenever I go to click his name. Best ball, I'm very over the market on both. Um, I think that ETN, like, I, I don't think it's still impossible that we see him rise up in, in the receiving pecking order. I, I think, you know, maybe Trevor Lawrence learning to check down might be like a positive for him, quite yeah. frankly. I think he, that was probably one of his remaining weaknesses is that he kept forcing the ball down the field to his own detriment sometimes. Um, and I still think we could see ETN develop more as a pass catcher. I also think it's totally possible that Tank Bigsby is just not really a factor. Like he was a late third round pick. I like him, but I don't think he's guaranteed to figure in here. So I really like betting on the talent and ETN at a really affordable price tag that bakes in a lot of the risk. And then when we're in the 12th round, I, I love the idea of betting on a prospect I liked in an offense that I think has potential to be top five in the NFL. Right. So, yep. I, no, I'm, I completely agree. And, and there's good contingent upside. And there's nobody there. else here that's interesting. No, and if ETN got hurt, Bigsby wouldn't get 100% of the workload. They'd still work in Dearness and Hasty, but, you know, put Bigsby in the ETN role and he could easily, you know, perform similarly. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I know you're relatively short on time, so let's hit the lightning round. Best dynasty okay. value on the Jags? Uh, I would go with, uh, with Tank Bigsby, just from a, an opportunity to get a, a prospect profile that I really do believe in. I think he's an all-purpose upside back. Um, has a lot of traits that I really enjoy. I think he's going to be awesome in the open field. I even wrote up pre-draft. I said, I think he would be in his best fit if he can get in a system where he can work on a shotgun, see the whole field, have a high percentage of outside zone carries, be able to use his change of direction skills, which I think is his best attribute. He could not have landed in a more friendly skill set, I think, for him than what they run with Doug Peterson. Um, So I think he's a great fit long-term with tons of contingent upside right away and and the possibility of a standalone role. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I like him a lot of the value. in the My most drafted round. rookie uh, in the whole 2023 rookie class. Yeah, I mean, he's going in the late second and in startups, he's going behind like Brian Robinson and Roshan Johnson. I, I don't think that makes any sense. So even though I like Etienne, I'm there with you. Um, other guy I think is a value on the Jags is like, I think Trevor Lawrence is a value. Um, I know that he's not, he's just a lot cheaper. You can, you can downgrade from a guy like Justin Herbert to him and get, and get something on top. Yeah. And that's a trade that I'm making. Uh, worst dynasty value. 
Um, I don't know about like, I don't even, I don't know that there is a dynasty value I feel horrible about on this team, but I guess I would go with Evan Ingram just yeah. in that he still commands like a pretty uh, hefty allocation of draft capital in a tight end premium league. And there's just so many other tight ends in that tier that I think are more interesting. I would much rather spend and, a little and, bit less. And, yeah. And, and some guys in that tier, Njoku, Meyer, Laporta, Dulcich, Aconquo, Waller. Right. It feels like I would rather spend a little, I feel way better about Waller this year. There's not Same. that big of an age gap between them. Uh, so I'd rather bet on Waller. And I, I would much rather, you know, from an upside perspective, I think I'm way more interested in uh, Dulcich, in Laporta, and in Mayer uh, yeah. than I am in Evan Ingram. So that's probably the guy I'd like to get out of. Uh, and I, he was a guy I was really invested in last year, but I'd like to cash him out into either a higher upside projection bet or a higher upside long-term bet. Yep, completely agree there. Uh, any player that might be on waivers in a deep dynasty league that's worth picking up here? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you could... I guess I'd, I'd probably try to pick up Brenton Strange yeah. um, just because he is a second-round tight end. So that's something, right? And he wasn't um, getting drafted. I I, I, lo- I love Dearness Johnson. I'll just have something. Yeah. And I'm convinced that... Like they liked Jamichael Hasty in that third down role. They didn't really have another choice last year. But I think if Etienne or Bigsby goes down, I'd like to think that Johnson might be the one drive, uh, one drive, two, two drive guy. Yeah. I think, I think he would. Yeah. I think yes. he's purely a long down distance back. And yeah. he'll, like, I think Dearness is, is going to be inactive on game days probably because Agreed. they'll have the two rushers and they'll have Hasty. But I agree with you. If, if one of the other two goes down, I think it's Dearness who's getting the secondary pair. It's not Hasty. Yeah. And then uh, last question, what's your prediction for the win-loss record for the Jags? Uh, like their schedule is so easy and they're so good. Easy. So I'm going to say it's 12 and 5. Yeah, I, I think given it's the AFC South, I think they're going to slide and in. And the as, NFC South. Yeah, it's going to be maybe the two seed, if not the three seed for Jacksonville. Um, I, I think they're they're very well suited this season. Um, all right, thanks for They're, so they're, like, for they're like this year's Eagles, I think, where it's like an yeah. ascending team that also has a super easy schedule. Where like if they if they actually end up being like one of the five best teams in the NFL, they could they could lead the NFL in wins. Like I think that would be a bet. I don't know what the odds are to be honest, but that that's a bet that I would make is for them to be the one seed in the AFC because it's such a good conference where all the other top teams have other legitimate teams in their division. I mean, they could legitimately go like nine and one or ten and zero in their AFC South NFC South games, and and then you just got to split the rest. Yeah, no, wouldn't be wouldn't be too surprising at all. So I definitely like that. Uh, before we sign off, you want to tell everyone where they can find your work? Absolutely. You can find everything I got going on on Thinking About Thinking. I uh, just launched the start of the off-season version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back, which is a running back streaming column uh, where we talk through basically every running back in the NFL at this point that's going outside the top six rounds in seasonal leagues. We kicked it off with a uh, look at two of the most ambiguous backfields in the NFL, the Saints and the Eagles. And the next column is shortly forthcoming, which will be on the Dolphins and the Bears. So I'm excited to uh, continue doing that. It's my favorite column uh, of the year. So really pumped to keep cranking those out all the way through August. Yeah, definitely make sure to check out all of Jacob's work. Uh, This has been the Dynasty's Old Town Podcast, the preview for the Colts and Jaguars. And I will be back very soon for more team previews. Thanks for listening. 